Just as a quick side note, I do realize now that you and I have not talked about anything in over a month. <laughs> you must, Peter, this is not optional. You must watch Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Oh, that is high on our watch list. Um, you must. Yeah. Um, it changed my DNA. <laughs> I am a different person. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, teen librarian and uh, perpetual seeker of movie trailers because Mm. no one shows them to me reliably anymore. Uh, And I am here, as always, with my co-host. I'm Pete Romberg, curriculum developer and uh, after sort of treading water on pop culture for a while, I feel like now I'm inundated with with too many things, uh, which is a good good complaint to have. A good complaint indeed. Uh, And today we are going back to summer camp. Uh, We are taking a look at the American myth of the summer camp as, uh, you know, sort of filtered through some popular genres and to touchstone pieces of media. But before we dive into that, uh, it is time for us to talk to you about what is stuck in our heads this week. Um, I, Pete, would you like me to go first? I would love for you to go first because, as we were just saying, I have too many options. So if you say something that was on my list, then that at least winnows my options down. Perfection. So what is stuck in our heads this week is a piece of popular culture or media that is stuck in there that we can't stop thinking about and i confess listeners that i'm going to cheat this week i have two i'm going to start with the good uh the sequel to a little uh indie video game called oxen free came out this week oxen free 2 lost signals uh oxen free is a great little game it's like four to six hours of playtime, uh and it is all about ghosts and time loops and weird radio signals and is just very up my alley. So I have, when I heard that the studio was doing a sequel, I got really excited. I have great news for you. Uh, back in uh, April 19, 2021, on our 102nd episode, The New Testament, you had Oxenfree, the, the original Oxenfree, as you're stuck in your head. <laughs> uh, they're great. I love them. I'm like two hours into the sequel. Uh, and I think it does a really good job with sort of borrowing the concepts from the first game while also telling a new and interesting story. So I'm very into it right now. Cool. And if you want to hear more about Oxenfree and Marin's take on it, (laughs) check out our episode 102 on the New Testament. You just called me Marin, but I forgive you. I did. Oh my God. I'm very tired. (laughs) (laughs) I'm honestly shocked. This is the first time that's happened on air in our like a hundred and however many episodes it's been. 139. It's true. It's very impressive. I'm proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) So that is my thumbs up stuck in my head. My thumbs down stuck in my head is this new trailer that has dropped for the Timothée Chalamet vehicle Wonka. (sighs) Yes. Here is my problem. 
we have lost sight of the fact that Willy Wonka is a creepy little freak who straight wants to murder children. I I had a tweet blow up about that fact. Um, and I think it is doing Timothy a disservice in not letting him play that creepy little freak because I think he'd be up for it. I think he'd be up to the task. Mm-hmm. And I, yes, I was very frustrated because there are moments in this trailer that get so close to being that weird sort of uncomfortable gross kind of creepy feeling that Roald Dahl was so good at and what we all read his stuff to get. And then it pivots and is like, but it's a whimsical family holiday film. And I was like, then it's not about Willy Wonka because you all just want to borrow Gene Wilder's mannerisms and none of his menace. Yes. Um, Learning that it was uh, directed and created by the guys behind Paddington, made the trailer make sense to me. Uh, I I still deeply disagree with it, but I'm like, oh, we're doing a Paddington version of Willy Wonka, so it's going to be whimsical and fun and full of childlike wonder. I'm like, okay, that's a good family-friendly movie. We were saying off-air how there's only two family movies a year, like, you know, family movies every year these days, so fine, a family movie by the Paddington crew. Sounds good. Not Willy Wonka, though. You are just fully missing the point of it. Yeah, it bums me out. Um, That's kind of really all I have to say, is that I just got really frustrated because the casting is good, and I would even probably be into the family-friendly, whimsical holiday movie that they're pitching, but it's not a Willy Wonka movie. No, (laughs) and, and on top of it, I don't need a prequel to Willy Wonka. I, like, which is actually right? called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, unless I'm learning about why all four grandparents are in bed all the time, and it's like a 70s screwball sex comedy, right? Uh, but uh, if if you're not doing that, I'm not here for it. I don't need a I don't need a prequel. He went into the jungle. He found some Oompa Loompas. That's not problematic at all. Now he makes chocolate. It's fine. That's all you need. So, yes, that is my that is my thumbs down. And it's stuck in my head because I'm going to be thinking about this stupid movie for weeks because oh. it's so frustrating to me. I'm sorry. I love I, this movie so much. I watched the trailer and I was like, that doesn't look appealing to me. And I almost immediately stopped thinking about it. It's one of those things, again, and I don't think I would be as frustrated about it if there weren't moments in the trailer that I think are like genuinely good ideas. Mm, mm-hmm. But then, yeah, it's like it's the classic, it's a like, musical you came, number, right? It's like you you came so close to to potential greatness, but but coming that close makes the it, fall even worse. Yeah, I don't know that it got that close. I think there yeah. are beats in there. Like at one point, they talk about like the chocolate mafia, and I was like, let's drill down on that. Um, my so my yeah, counter argument are... is don't drill down on any of that. We don't need legacy prequels and definitely well, that's not also really true. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so yes. Uh, what is stuck in your head? Have you had time to uh, pick All right, one? So, so here's what's going on. We haven't we we had an episode two weeks ago that was from the archives because I was on vacation. It was a great time. Um so that means that you and I haven't talked about our media consumption in literally a month. 
during that month, I have begun playing uh, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I would love to talk about that. Uh, I have begun reading Moby Dick for the first time. You and I should yes! probably just do an episode on Moby Dick, because it's your favorite book. Uh, and I just got done with the Cetology no. chapter, and no. I was no. having fun. Every other every other chapter is a Cetology chapter. No, no, the one also, called I would like Cetology. To correct, <laughs> I would like to correct the record. Moby Dick is not my favorite book. I mm. simply think it is the best book. Mm, that's that's a fair and good correction. Uh, maybe we, we should maybe do a Moby Dick episode, though, come October, when I've maybe finished it. Um... Also, in that time, I've seen, like, three movies that all, would all be fun to talk about. The new Indiana Jones, the new Mission Impossible. Have we talked about Spider-Verse? I don't know. I'm not going to talk about any of those, however, uh, except for by alluding to them and cheating. Uh, because what's actually probably stuck in my head is a show that I finished watching two weeks ago, and that is The Bear Season 2. <gasps> um, yes! Yes, 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 yes! Yes, because The Bear Season 1 was one of the best things to come out of television last year. It also made me go back to have Johnny's Beef for the first time since high school over my Christmas. Uh, I'm a mostly vegetarian, sometimes making exceptions, and it was an amazing Christmas for me to have some Johnny's Beef again. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Um, and The Bear Season 2 has maybe my favorite episode of television of the past decade in the Richie-focused episode. Um, I won't say much more beyond that, but I was so... So happy that Carmi's cousin, you know, ha had an episode devoted to himself, and he's the most, you know, Midwest guy of that kind of guy, and, you know, MVP, most improved, absolutely loved it. Uh, and I, I love the whole, the whole episode, like the whole uh, season was phenomenal. The one critique I I'd say very much. is that they needed a little more with uh, the Iowa debris and Carmi sort of... That felt washed over a little bit. Like there was there was dynamics that needed more addressing that weren't. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I was I I loved that so many of the secondary characters got full episodes devoted just to them, and that it mostly worked out for everyone. Uh, I loved it very much. The only thing that I will say in counterpoint to your feelings about the Richie episode is that for me the best episode was not. The Richie staging episode. It was the one that comes immediately after that, where you can see the lesson sticking. Mm, mm. Because for me, the the Richie episode was very necessary. Yeah. But I was still like, I still kind of hate you, my dude. Um, but then it was, and again, light spoilers for the bear. So if this matters to you, skip ahead uh, a couple seconds. 30 seconds or so. Yeah. Um seeing Richie, seeing Seeing in Richie what Carmi saw, like his ability to take what he learns in that episode and actually implement them in the situations that matter, that was when I was like, okay, the, the I'm scene, on board now. The scene where he is doing the interview and has intentionally put the napkin sideways, I'm like, oh my god, that is exactly exa exactly as you say. It's like the lessons have stuck. You are yes, you are a chain. You have learned your lessons and. You are implementing them. Uh, praxis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, it's so good. I loved it so much. I have some light complaints over the character of Claire, um, but mostly because I would have liked her to be more of a character. Um, and I was bummed that Tina didn't get a full episode dedicated to her. 
Yeah, I was. Just, I was. Just I, I I don't disagree. Uh, although I loved the episode that was half focused on Tina. I oh yeah, I was, so, was great. so pleased by that. But I, and partly though, it's like I, I feel like her. I don't know. Maybe her character didn't need to go quite as far, but because uh, like just even getting what she got was sort of like the well the culmination. I do feel. Yeah, I do feel like most of her growth happened in season one with her relationship development with, with Sydney. Jeff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jeffrey. Jeff. <laughs> no, he's Jeffrey now. Oh, yes. Everyone true, else yes. in the kitchen. Everyone else in the kitchen is Jeff. Jeff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, great show. Um, we'll put a timestamp on those spoilers so that people can skip them if they want to. Yeah. Uh, and then last thing, uh, the fishes episode, uh, which is the one everyone's talking about. Uh, it's the hour long episode. Um, made me feel real good that my food focused, uh, you know, Irish Italian extended family doesn't have Christmas Eve's like that. <laughs> you know, oh, God. <laughs> and, and not just because of the whole, it's seven kinds of fish. Uh, I truly have not laughed as hard at anything as I did at Pete's casserole. <laughs> it's eight fish. Read the room, <laughs> it's the seven fishes. You can't bring another fish. Um. So yes, it's great. <laughs> okay, we are going to take a quick intermission, and when we come back, we're going to summer camp. And we are back. So as I said before the break, we are taking a look at summer camp media today. It is July as we record this. Summer is fully in swing. It is very hot and hazy outside. And we thought, why don't we take a moment to look at this sort of cultural touchstone that permeates so much of um, definitely teen uh, a little bit kid, and then I'm going to make the argument also adult nostalgia-centered media. Mm. Uh, we have two movies to discuss with you today. Our first one is the 1980 horror classic Friday the 13th. Uh, Friday the 13th was written by Victor Miller and Ron Kurz and directed by Sean Cunningham. It stars Betsy Palmer as Mrs. Voorhees. Adrian King as Alice, Janine Taylor as Marcy, Robbie Morgan as Annie, Kevin Bacon as Jack, Harry Crosby as Bill, Lori Bartram as Brenda, Mark Nelson as Ned, Peter Brower as Steve Christie, and others. Friday the 13th tells the story of a group of older teens slash new adults who are have been hired by Steve Christie to revive Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, a lakeside summer camp for underprivileged kids. Uh, the older teens are up there a couple weeks before the camp opens to clean it up, get it in order, uh, and also get murdered by a bunch of question marks. Uh, the first scene in the movie... <laughs> Spo spoilers for Friday the, the 13th, a movie from 1980 that you should have done your homework on anyway forthcoming yeah this movie this movie is 42 years old y'all yeah. <laughs> um, but yes yeah, so the movie opens in 1958 with a pair of horny counselors 
uh, getting brutally murdered. Uh, and then we flash forward to the present day with our, um, as mentioned, group of older teens who are uh, at the camp before anyone else arrives. Um, we get a lot of first-person POV camera work from someone that is hunting these kids down and killing them one by one. Uh, we later find out that the person who is killing our kids is Mrs. Voorhees in retaliation for her little boy, Jason, who drowned while those horny counselors in 1958 were getting it on and not watching him. So she killed them and she is back to kill again to prevent the camp from opening. Uh, this was a first watch for both of us, mm -hmm. which I think is more surprising for me than it is for you. Um, but the thing about me and my relationship to horror is that I came to horror pretty late in my life and have, I mean, there's always really good new horror coming out. So my relationship with the quote unquote classics is a little bit shaky. Well, and, and um, of the of the three classics, Halloween, <clears throat> Friday the 13th, and uh, Nightmare, I... I, 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 not to blow your own thing, but I think your letterbox review said that this was like the least essential and the weakest of the three, which I fully agree with. But also as the series continues, Jason's are like, always. Oh, he's, for me, he's always been just the, like the, you know, he's always been the third place guy. So I've never, I've never like cared to watch it because I'm like, I don't care about Jason. Well, and the thing is that, yes, I, in my... In my letterbox review, I called this one the least of the three. And yes, the three franchises are this Halloween and The Nightmare on Elm Street. And in terms of interesting villain, I think Jason and Michael Myers are about on par. Like, they're both pretty blank slates. Um, but I think that Halloween has always had a better cast. And, and like, like, it helps that the first Halloween was a John Carpenter movie. So like, you're, you know that this is this is coming out after. It's clearly a derivative of it. How the original Halloween is so innovative and continues to be innovative in a way that Friday has always been a bit more of just like a, you know, a slasher of the of the moment, being derivative of whatever's popular at the time. True, I will say I think, and this speaks to our topic today i do think setting it at a summer camp was a really interesting and smart move mm -hmm. um because and here's where i kind of want to talk about summer camp as a setting for media in general um i am a big fan of like boarding school stories big fan of summer school stories or summer camp stories because i read a lot of teen stuff one of the big questions that tends to be kind of forefront, unless you deal with it right off the bat, is where are the parents? Mm -hmm. And setting something at a summer camp, it doesn't matter. Like, you're taking that question off the board immediately, and you can go hog wild with a setting that has very few or very apathetic or none adults at all. Um, and I think that's a really key piece of it, because what that means is that you don't have anybody watching out for these kids. You don't have anyone that these kids have to answer to. So summer camps become places where kids can, like, cut loose completely. They become, like, Bacchanalian, <laughs> yes. almost, locales. Yes. 
Um, and they also become places where anything goes. Um, and and also you're in the woods, so like there's that there's that added wrinkle of like you know spooky ghost stories around campfires. It's just a really good for horror, at least a really good like starting point of you know we can and this is not what oh, Friday Thirteenth yeah. did, but like you know how many other horror movies set at summer camps have started with the like we're telling a spooky spooky story and then oh no yeah for sure um so I do think that. If I think that setting the movie setting the movie at a summer camp was a really good call. Um, I just think that if Lori is not your main character, kind of what are we doing? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Like if you don't have Jamie Lee Curtis or Heather Langenkamp like leading your movie, um, you're at because yeah, like I thought Adrian King as Alice was fine. Um, I could not tell you a single other thing that she has been in. Um, well, and and she didn't pop in the same way that like both in in both of the others. You sort of get that they're like you get that they're the main characters early on. Here, there were enough other people just floating around that I didn't like clock that she was the final girl until like an hour in, and then there was only half an hour left. I'm like, well, there's only two women left, and one of them has taken her shirt off already, so she's not gonna make it. <laughs> Uh, this was a very um, striking example of the "if you have sex, you're gonna get dead." Yeah, trope. Yeah. <laughs> like down to like Alice almost taking her shirt off and then not, and that being what saved. You know, like essentially that's what saves her. Yes. Although she did smoke the devil's lettuce. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> it's a lot of marijuana use. <laughs> um. I don't know. There was something about this one that was just a little flat for me. Um, I thought that keeping the keeping the killer secret for so long, like obviously they want the reveal at the end, um, but it almost made it feel more like a haunted house or a ghost movie than a slasher for me. Mm. Um, like there ends up being something kind of supernatural about the way that the killer is presented, which becomes a little more interesting in later installments when Jason does become the killer and I mean, sort of a supernatural figure. What, speaking of what, what was your take on the very last scene then, where maybe Jason comes out of the the lake to try to kill her, or maybe that was a nightmare? I. And obviously that like the version like of Jason it. the version of Jason in this is like a kid and later he becomes more of a Michael Myers like hulking brute. Uh Well, and the movie did not have that scene initially. I I um, did read that they added it to like give a sort of like for, uh, and, and speaking of we've actually seen something done by um this director before. He produced uh Sean S. Cunningham produced uh The Last House on the Left. Um but they they added that final scene to sort of give that like end of end of the movie like ah you know moment. Um, yeah, they wanted a quote unquote carry moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't love it because it sort of undercuts everything that we did with Jason's mother. It's like you have Psycho, you have Psycho, you have Psycho, and now all of a sudden you have 
zombies. Like a zombie child? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I will say, like, I, I knew the twist about Jason's mother being the killer in this one. Like, so so going in, I knew that it was like, yeah, it's, it's going to be Jason's mother, whatever. Um, I actually didn't know that we had zombie Jason at the end, unless it's a dream. Uh, I thought he showed up for the first time later. And I could see seeing this in a theater in 1980 and not knowing what to expect and not knowing who the killer is. Like, that's that first scene where his mother shows up and... It, it's that feeling of relief, you know, that Alice has and that the audience has of like, oh, good, someone's here, someone will help them. And and within five minutes, there's the realization of like, oh, you crazy and you've been killing everyone. Like, that's a good affecting moment if you don't know the twist already. But if you it's do know the twist, it's of, like, eh, okay. No, but see, I think it also kind of plays if you do know the twist, because if you do know the twist, as soon as she says, I'm Mrs. Voorhees, you and the audience are going, like, oh, oh, no. no. Right. Yeah, that's like, true. That's true. Because that is a name that only means something if you are familiar with Jason Voorhees, the killer. Right. So there is a little bit of like, oh no, I know what's coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, um, I, I do agree with you. This movie this movie did not work for me. I just posted my letterbox review and I I just read yours. Uh Turns out it didn't work as well for me as it worked for you. Uh and partly that's because as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, the first the, like the first scene in the 50s is so clearly indebted to Halloween that I'm watching. I'm like, oh, I'd rather be watching Halloween. Um, <laughs> and then later, like when they're like doing all the woods horror, I'm like, oh, I'd rather be watching Evil Dead. Uh, so it's it's sort of fighting against those senses of me of like, eh, I, I, I'm, I'm being reminded of other better horror movies that I'd rather be watching. Uh, that being said, um, is really good horror. Uh -huh. like, that, that is That is some... A plus horror horror music. Yeah, and I thought that the the sequence where the kid gets killed with the arrow that comes through the back of his neck, mm. like there are some really There's, good kills. There are some good kills in this. Mrs. Um, Voorhees' death was was like wild. <laughs> yes. So I think it has some good moments. Um, I thought the pacing was weird, and mostly I thought that it's interesting. Um for what it borrows on and sort of the bonkers direction that the franchise goes. <laughs> he goes activist. to space in the future. He goes I, to hell. He goes am, to New York. I'm legitimately bummed that one of the things this franchise loses is that connection to summer camp, because that feels like the big thing that's different about this. And it like could have been, I think the big hallmark like, instead of necessarily Jason being the killer, I sort of wanted Camp Crystal Lake to be, like, the but, haunted location. But, like, like Martha, eventually, um, after, like, the eighth zombie ghost murder at Camp Crystal Lake, they're condemning the place and burning it to the ground, right? Like... No, see, you'd <laughs> think that. I mean, eventually, <laughs> eventually some kids will build a pet cemetery there, and we all know what happens then. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, sometimes dead is better. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, like we said up top, like, I think summer camp is such a strongly evocative location. Like, you have this feeling of freedom, of anything goes, of really being able to do anything, but also that anything can happen. Yeah. And that, I feel, is where the tension of this movie of this franchise should have lived. So I, I didn't realize until watching this now that, like, I always knew it was a summer camp situation, 
This movie's not actually set during summer camp. It's some camp counselors who are all in their, you know, early 20s trying to reopen the camp. And that's a very different, like, that's very different than if there were actually, like, campers there and all the rest of it. Um, be, that's like, true. As, as you were saying with, like, you know, it's a big thing in teen media because it gets rid of, like, or it, it addresses the problem, like, where are the parents? When you're 19 to 21, you don't need to have the where are the parents. But but you are are you are all like you're still being camp counselors at a camp. You're in the woods here for just the summer fling. So there is still that sense of bacchanal, even among the counselors, even though you don't have to like fix or address the like where are your parents issue. For sure, and I think that there's still an element of wish fulfillment, even when we're talking about a horror movie. Like, no, I don't want to get menaced by a machete-wielding murder, but having all of the trappings of summer camp and all of that freedom without actually having campers, mm -hmm. I it's... do see how, to a teen, that would be sort of an appealing oh, 100%. situation. A 16-year-old watching <laughs> this would be like, I would love to be the camp counselor here, San Murder, uh, in the week before the campers <laughs> arrive, because I can have all the fun lake action sex and smoking you know smoking the grass that i can handle <laughs> smoking the devil's lettuce <laughs> i loved that that motorcycle cop showed up and he was like got any of that colombian gold that wacky grass <laughs> it's like all right dude <laughs> a lot of this movie does feel like it is from the perspective of the teens like that is not a real cop, but that is definitely a cop that a teen would tell a story well, and, about later. And and the way that the kids acted around the cop, like the one, the, the I think it was Kevin Bacon, like picking up the dude's radio as he's getting a radio call. It's like, I'm sorry, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, only, only a like a footloose and, pun intended, uh, and fancy free, you know, teen hopped up on the Mary Juana might be tempted to pick up the, the cops, uh, you know, radio in that situation. Um, would you like to intro our second piece of media? Yeah, speaking of uh, teen camp counselors played by people in their mid-twenties, um, the second piece of media that we assigned was Wet Hot American Summer, the 2001 American satirical comedy directed by David Wayne from a screenplay by uh, Wayne and Michael Showalter. Uh, the cast includes literally every comedian you've ever heard of in the past 20 years, including, and, um, you know, non-exhaustively, uh, Ginny Garofalo, David High Pierce, Molly Shannon, Paul Rudd, Christopher Maloney, uh, Michael Showalter, Ken Marino, Michael Ian Black, Amy Poehler, doing her best pre-Leslie Nope. Uh, Bradley Cooper in his first film role. Uh, Elizabeth Banks and Joe Latrulio and H. John Benjamin as the voice of a can of mixed vegetables. Uh, this, this is a stupid question, but did you get Paul Rudd in there? I did get Paul Rudd in there, but yes, Paul Rudd. Okay. Paul Rudd okay. looking exactly like he does today. Correct. <laughs> Some of them I'm like, I, I almost didn't clock that it was Bradley Cooper. Because uh, he looks different enough. Uh, but Paul Rudd, I'm like, ah, Paul Rudd, great. <laughs> As an age today. Um, this is a, uh, so it's set on the very last day of a uh, summer camp in 1981. Uh, so it's 20 years before, you know, when it was filmed. Um, it's the last day. 
there's going to be a uh, talent show at the end of the day, and we're kind of just going through that last day. It's got all the tropes of summer campness, all the tropes of sex comedies, all the tropes of, you know, weird 80s stuff. You got your nerds, you got your geeks. Uh, there's definitely an overlay of, like, this is a Jewish camp, or at least it's 95% Jewish kids. It's It's such a shaggy and weird movie that it's like, well, some of the jokes and some of the bits really don't work. I think we agreed, the ones that work the least well. Uh, and they barely hang together with more than, like, the thinnest of gossamer of connections. There's a lot of good funny stuff in here, but also, as a movie, it's kind of not a good movie, even though it's a huge cult classic. Because um, it is the kind of thing where, like, you know for a fact that this was on repeat on Comedy Central in 2005, and if you just caught a little bit of it, if you just saw Christopher Maloney humping a fridge or talking to the can of, of mixed vegetables, uh, you were like, this is the height of comedy. Uh, I'm a 15-year-old boy. Uh, and, you know, then if you actually sit down and watch the whole thing in this year 2023, you're like, this isn't, you know, this is not the best movie ever made. <laughs> The first thing I'm going to say is that I am going to start finding you every time you describe something as being shaggy. This is the um, definition of shaggy. <laughs> there is hardly the any plot. Is... <laughs> There's hardly any plot. And things, I, I would argue happen. that it is the strongest. It is the strongest when it doesn't try to have plot. Um, yes, I, I agree. But this is definitely this... shaggy. <laughs> This movie did not work for me. <laughs> I did not enjoy. We gave it the same the same rating. We gave it the same letterbox um, review. Yeah. Here's the thing. I know that the joke of this movie is that it is the emotional denouement of a lot of stuff we didn't see. But because of it, that, it being the I last did not day of summer have... camp. Yes. Yeah. So we are we are just seeing the ends of all of these stories. Like mm -hmm. we are inferring all of these stories that have played out over an entire summer. Right. Um, but we're only getting the payoff. I don't care about anyone in this movie because <laughs> I didn't have the buildup. Like, it was such a weird experience to watch. And I, like I said, I get that that's the point. Um, it was just an experiment that really didn't work for me. Um, I also sort of infamously do not enjoy awkward humor. And a lot of this movie made me want to hide under the bed. Mm. I I'm not the biggest fan of awkward humor, and this this didn't ring those bells too badly for me. Um, I had going way back in time. Did you ever watch like Stella on Comedy Central? No, I have no idea what that is. Okay, uh, it was a show with Michael Showalter and Michael Ian Black and a third guy. Um, so like you know, it it was basically these guys being immature i don't know it was almost like a uh, i think you should leave but with three guys who are whatever it, it was a mid-aughts comedy thing with three white guys um 
And having seen that back in the day, I'm like, okay, I kind of get the wavelength that this movie's on because that's kind of the wavelength that they're on of like weird, not awkward, but just stilted and strange relationships and, you know. Well, and I don't big think... Big emotions. I, I don't think I understood... <sighs> the Molly Shannon story is really troubling. <laughs> and yes. e- even more so... Like, the, the wedding gag at the end, I was just like, I don't understand why we had to do this. I felt like this paid off at the talent show. And now I just feel uncomfortable right because up until that stinger it's like okay is this just is the joke just that like these kids are way more emotionally mature than she is okay and then yeah the payoff and like okay that's fine kind of weird but fine and then yeah the last stinger bit it's like oh no it's straight up like now they're getting married that's gross well and if it had been if it had been a joke because like nothing in this movie is serious she's like the wedding is next week it's like that's not serious but i don't know that coupled with janine garofalo's uh yeah like well the thing is like i think that was all i had i had thought we were at a certain level and then that ending sequence happened and i was like and now i feel like we are off the rails and into like so not i don't know that that was not a level that i felt matched the the level of comedy of the rest of the movie. Not to defend that last scene because I fully agree with your with your critique. Uh, I do think that the joke is that it's like yes, we all just you know the the whole thing of like yes, I'm pregnant, we'll move in, we'll get married, haha. <laughs> it's like yes, this all happened. Yes, this all has happened over 24 hours. So the joke is that this timeline is so farcically accelerated. That even though everyone is is playing it straight, it's a ludicrous scenario. That being said, also... it, like the the punchline is still like I'm pregnant and I'm marrying a twelve year old. Like that's those aren't good punchlines, you know. Well, and up until that point, I had sort of thought that the joke was sort of a like what happens at camp stays at camp kind of deal, mm-hmm. and those two gags take it so thoroughly out of that arena. Mm. Like, I don't like the idea of anything at that camp bleeding over into the real, the quote-unquote real world. Such as, for example, Bradley Cooper uh, allowing two children to drown on his watch and then murdering their partners to make sure that nobody knows. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) I I, I love the solution. Like, he drowned. I'm like, all right, will you come with me real quick? Now, no one will know. <laughs> yes. That, yeah, like, the, the keeping the ludicrous stuff, like, I, I, I sort of feel like an ending that would have worked better because summer camp is so frequently this, like, place that stuff happens and then you go back to the real world. Like, whatever, ha- yeah, truly, like, I wanted it to be a whatever happens at camp stays at camp. Right. situation right but like it would have been like like the whole like michael showalter um uh basically not not having a lasting relationship with uh i think katie was the uh marguerite moreau um or marguerite moreau yeah. um that felt realistic in the sense of like 
not necessarily that she got back, and, and I meant uh, earlier when I said Paul Rudd, I did mean, or I said Bradley Cooper, I meant Paul Rudd. Um, like, her getting back together with Paul Rudd and not having a lasting relationship with him, that kind of worked, of the, like, eh, whatever happened to camp stays at camp, and this is not going to work out in the real world. Right, and that's what she says in the last scene. She's yeah. like, my goal is to have sex. Yeah. Specifically with I'm, Andy. I'm a 16-year-old, and you are not as hot as anywhere from the age of 20 to 85-year-old Paul Rudd. Uh, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but to bring it back to sort of our central thesis, I think that setting setting a summer camp movie, or setting a comedy movie in summer camp, rather, I think that works for a lot of the same reasons that setting a horror movie in a summer camp works. Like, you have very similar blurrings of reality. Like, these are these are two genres that sort of trade on... Um, being over the top and being heightened versions of reality. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of what summer camp is. Like, I was never a huge camp kid. Um, The only overnight camps I ever went to were a couple of, like, Girl Scout weekend camps. Mm -hmm. No, that's not true. I... I went to a three-week summer camp a couple of times. <laughs> uh, that was. I, I love that you pivoted from "I only did a weekend overnight camp" to "Nope, three weeks." Yeah, no, it was cool. We stayed on a college campus in the dorms and like went to classes. Oh, nerd camp! Yeah, yeah, it yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I did some of those at back then. It was Rosary. Now it's Dominican. They weren't overnights, but I definitely did a couple weeks at like. At nerd camp. <laughs> um, but I have frequently thought that I wish I could go to something like that as a grown-up. Because, <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, just take it, because the classes, like, the classes we were taking were, like, theater and creative writing. And they had a couple. Those they were had the like ones that were academic, for you. <laughs> yeah, they had, like, some academic track ones. Um... I did not do them like for, because for the double nerds like math and science. both for double nerds and also I think some of them were also like I need help with this subject. Sure, sure. So like I had I had a friend who was in a math class because she needed like yeah. that was sort of like her parents were like you can do this but you have to like take an actual yeah totally class. Um. But yeah, it was super fun. I went to I went to that twice, I think. Um Where where was that? Yeah, was that, was that in Illinois or was that like out of state somewhere? No, I went to one at Denison University in Ohio and I went to one at Amherst College in Massachusetts. Ooh. Cool. Yeah, it was called you're gonna laugh so hard at this. It was called the Summer Institute for the Gifted. <laughs> and it is still being run. Of you course, can still of attend the scam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, it was, and it was definitely that similar, like, alternate reality. Well, here, like, there were... Was that was that mixed gender? Yes. Okay, because my I, but... I only went to a Boy Scout camp for an overnight, like, week long thing, and so like, well, there was a lot of similarities in some ways of like you're in a totally different place. This is not real. It was all boys. So you have a bit of a different, you know, 
situation than like band camp or nerd camp or whatever. Oh, yes. And even though I went at the ages of 12 and 13, so I was not quite old enough. And also I was a goody two shoes child. I would never have gotten into too many shenanigans. Uh, There was a hormonal component yes uh we there were also like weekly dances and also an end of camp like homecoming-esque really they were i'm amazed that they were like actively playing that up rather than trying to suppress it as much as possible oh no they were like formal dances wow yeah We also did, like, weekend trips, so we would go to, like, museums and stuff in town. You're in Amherst, might as well experience the East Coast. Yeah, Yeah. we went to see um, the orchestra in residence practicing one weekend, which was very cool. Like, the conservatory students. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um... Yes, it was mixed gender. We did eat in a cafeteria every day. We had roommates. Slept in and, a and, dorm. And you, were, and you were in dorms, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, whereas we were in tents. Uh, again, I, I only went one year, uh, Boy Scout camp. Uh, <clears throat> we were in tents. My dad likes to say that when he dropped me off, it looked like Nam because it was pouring rain and it was, you know, military <laughs> surplus looking, you know, canvas tents. Um, that my... seems inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should also note that my dad lived in Toronto during the Vietnam War for, you know, reasons. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, my tent mate was like my best friend at the time and he was vomitously ill the first two or three nights uh oh, like no. throwing up in a coffee can uh right next to me oh. kind of vomitously ill so uh but i i don't know i had a good time um uh i i started saying this off air but uh i think i met for the first time your now husband bill at that camp uh i'm sure he has no memory of me because uh, he's what four or five years older than me so i was like the young he's boy. more than that because he's well he's three years older than me so he's four years older than me okay um which, which makes sense and i i have a i just have a strong memory of like him and some other dudes playing some some pen and paper rpg and me being like a middle schooler and they being in high school and me being like i don't know what this game is they're playing but overhearing it it sounds so cool but i couldn't possibly <laughs> say anything to them or approach them so <laughs> <laughs> so was uh, he like your counselor no it was just like it was boy scout camp he was like in you know i don't know how that works uh you're like you're just i don't know either realistically i was in like going into seventh <laughs> grade or something he was going into like junior sophomore year of high school one of the two uh so like he was getting merit badges and some stuff and i was getting merit badges and other stuff and you know, there, I were, there were probably adults around. I don't know. There must have been adults around. So, you know, scout leaders. I did Boy Scouts for exactly yeah. two years. Oh, <laughs> so no Eagle, no Eagle Scout no for you. No Eagle Scout for me. Uh, well, anything else we want to 
touch well, on? Well, you had mentioned, um, and we might have talked about this already, but you had mentioned talking about why is it such a staple of, uh, like, teen or genre media, but then basically absent from what I'm calling adult slash quote-unquote respectable media, uh, we've talked well, off air about I... knowing that we're putting caveats all over phrases like genre and respectable. Um, I actually would push back on that assertion because I do feel like this comes up in like nostalgic media okay. aimed at adults. Like the, like, let me recall back to the idyllic summers that I spent. But that's I always, know, I think that's always a... like as a flashback moment in a larger piece. I can't think of a single quote-unquote, like, you know, respectable, however, how, whatever word you want to use to to describe it, being set entirely at summer camp. It's always that, like, idyllic flashback moment of, like, uh, we were young, and then we go back to the present where things are harder. Sure, but I do think that it is worth noting that this is, like, when, when people flash back to an mm. idyllic time in their lives, this is one of the tropes that gets pulled out for that like that, there is still point. there is still a um an element of thinking about this as like a time worth remembering um a time where like formative things happened yeah um even if it's not the main thrust of the story i think it can still get used as a plot device and it does for sort of capturing that like Days gone past, or days gone by. Right, the halcyon, the halcyon times of youth. Yes, when it, like that does make sense, though, because it, like, as as you were saying earlier, it's a place where there are no parents. There are there are authority figures in in various iterations, but there are no parents. There's a lot more freedom than you're usually afforded. It's it's many people's first times away from home with all the freedom and struggles that come with that. And also, you're probably in middle school, so, like, hormones are new but also happening. So there's a lot of, you know, shenet, like, you know, just confusion and or mishigas around that. Uh, so it makes sense that it's something that adults would look back to as an idyllic time because it's that first moment of freedom, that first moment of, like, you know, getting to be on your own, but still in a safe like, a place where there is safety, a place where there are adults, a place where your food is given to you three times a day, you know? Unless you're being hunted. Unless you're being hunted. This is true. Um, I did just start listening to the uh, book American Prometheus, which is the Robert Oppenheimer biography that the Oppenheimer movie is basically based on. Uh, he had a real bad time at a summer camp. <laughs> the one year that he went as a youth. Uh, bullied well, real bad. and that is also like, that's bullying also, is also kind of interesting of to me yeah. because i feel like even when even when camp experiences are not good they are they are looked on as formative yeah yeah um he was so like there was something something in that experience that he is it an, a biography or an autobiography definitely biography okay uh, so yeah. there's something in that experience that was formative enough for the biographer to um want to include in this in his story yeah i mean basically the idea of like the kid seemed weak but actually was really stoic and had sort of a, an inner core of steel but also was easy like was was the target for bullying right um 
and and real bad bullying because it's the 30s so we didn't <laughs> they weren't messing around or by the 30s i actually mean the 10s because i know how math works uh I have no idea. I mean, I figured it would be he the was 30s right. if he, he was building was... a bomb in World <laughs> War II. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, anything else we want to touch on? Uh, I think we're good. I, I think we've covered the idea of, like, why is it such a totemic location? Because it is a, a shared enough trait and, and that sense of freedom and all the rest of it. Um it is a distinctly American thing. I don't think that there's a similar, you know, cultural thing in Europe, for example, of like the weeks long sleepaway camp somewhere. Um, no, I actually think I think in Europe, the convention is more towards like a boarding school situation. So right, like right. you go to school all year and then you come home for a summers and holidays. Exactly. Um, and I do wonder if it's more of an East Coast thing. Uh, I'm shooting, and also Midwest, but, like, I, I would be very curious to hear if the summer camp idea, even that we're talking about, which might even be dated, is as strong on, say, the West Coast. Um, so much of the media we consume of summer camps, I feel like, is either an East Coast summer camp or, like, a Midwest, usually, at that point, Boy Scout, Girl Scout summer camp. Um so I, I or or church camp would be the other move. Um, so I, I do Holy wonder, church camp. right? Like we're not even going to touch that because uh, neither of us had that experience. Um, so I do wonder if there is a Western uh, or you know American West sense of summer camp in the same way. Uh, but I, I don't know enough to say anything more. Yeah, I would be hesitant on making any sort of regional declarations just because I don't know. I just don't know enough right, I'm, about. I'm I'm just noting that all of our all of the media touchstones seem to be East Coast slash church camp slash like Boy Scout camp in the Midwest. Um, mm. That could be because we're Midwesterners, and if we grew up on the West Coast, we would have had many cultural touchstones for West Western campsites. But. Do we know geographically where Camp Crystal Lake is supposed to? I'm almost certain it's on the East Coast. I think it, I want to say it's Jersey. Uh? Yep. Jersey, baby. Cunningham County, New Jersey. Yep, yep. All right, well, that that's all I got other than musings of geographical and historical, you know, <laughs> foci of, of summer camps in, in the culture. Yes. Uh, so the, yeah, that is gonna. That's a nice capper for our discussion. Um, our next episode is going to be on. Our next episode is going to be summer blockbusters. Now, this is a topic that we approached back in 2018, but the landscape is pretty different now than it was then. So we're going to be looking at the history of summer blockbusters, some flops and modern summer blockbusters, and what the future has in store, to the best of our prognostications. Uh, we want you to watch Jaws, the originator of the summer blockbuster phenomenon and a perfect film. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about a lot of modern summer 2023 blockbusters. So make sure you've seen, you know, a couple of those at least. Uh, although we'll try to be as spoiler free as possible. If you would like more of the show, you should check out our sister show, Love Ya, which updates on the same feed on alternating release dates. Uh, that is a show I host with Pete's wife, Marin, where we talk about a rom-com or a piece of teen cinema. Our last episode was on the 2021 or 2022 
uh, Comedy Bros. And our next episode is going to be on the Netflix original Love and Gelato. Uh, We have also talked about quite a few pieces of summer camp media on that one, (laughs) uh, because that fits into our oeuvre. Teen rom-coms and summer camps? What? Yes, correct. Um, I am Magical Martha on almost every social media outlet, including now Blue Sky. (gasps) Do you have an invite? Sweet, sweet invite. I don't have any yet. I think you have to be on it for a bit before they give you any, but I'll let you know as soon as I do. All right. I'd like to officially throw Um, my hat in the ring for first or, you know, to to enter the queue (laughs) for invites there. I will see how many they give me. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm Magical Martha on all the places except for TikTok and Tumblr, where I am the T-H-E Libratrix, L-I-B-R-A-T-R-I-X. On both of those places, mostly I post videos of my guinea pigs being cute. I see no reason for myself to ever show up on my own TikTok feed. <laughs> Uh, I also write a newsletter, tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. My last issue was about all of the movies from 2022 that I have seen that would have been somewhere on my top of the year list if I had actually seen them in 2022. Mm. And I wrote that because I watched Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which immediately became my second favorite movie from last year. (laughs) And I got mad that I had not watched it in time to talk about it more on this podcast. Would that have been after Everything Everywhere? It would have been after Bones and All and before Everything Everywhere. Bones and All. I was trying to think what, where your Everything Everywhere ranking was and what would have been in front of it. Of course you love Bones and All. Bones and All is the hole that was made for me. It's, yeah, I, I was going to say, it's a movie be... for Martha's. <laughs> I, I can only be who I am. <laughs> Uh, Pete, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, rat going down on a sinking ship over there. Uh, as as Twitter has gotten worse and worse, we've all entered our own little radicalization silos, and mine has been uh, uh, biking urbanists' uh, radicalization. So, you know, here's me declaring my war on cars. Martha, I'm excited that you get to bike to work these days, because uh, you got I a, do, a new job. Although... Yeah. Yes, um, I have not been because either I have not been super regularly either because of heat, rain, air quality or all of the above. Yep. Um, (laughs) The thing is, we live in one of the best places for climate change and we still get to deal with air quality alerts. Yeah. So when the weather allows for it, I do get to bike to work and it's lovely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, and wouldn't it be more lovely if there were more bike lanes? Anyway, um, you can also follow me on Lord Letter. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, follow yeah. me on Letterbox. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can follow me on Letterbox at P Romberg. That's P R H O M B E R G. Um, the best social media site these days. Truly. Uh, that is going to do it for us. We will see you in several weeks. Uh, and until then, enjoy doing your homework. Class dismissed.
Woohoo! That was fun. That was good.